for this sermon, uh, it might seem like I'm trying to highlight differences between different sections of us. I'm not. Um, I only mean to point out their existence so that we can respond to them appropriately. For example, uh, not becoming the same as one another, right? And also not having our differences so sharp and so strong that they cause us to break camps, to break company, to divide. This is the, the slide I wanted to point out to us, that these are the two sides. And uh, forgive the graphic, the, the faded U in the back that's usually, it looks really, really sharp. I couldn't get rid of it for this slide, so I don't mean anything about, you know, which side it's on. Um, so, yeah, don't, don't read too much into it, please. Um, I just, I thought that was funny, and I was like, I'm going to have to point that out, because that looks, that looks bad. Um, <laughs> But if you know me, uh, you know how I tend to preach. Uh, you know that I often spend a lot of time zooming out uh, to share the whole big picture and then focusing in on the point that I want to make. All right, today, we'll start at the beginning. And really, it's this statement, everyone has a worldview. Everyone has a worldview. The worldview, maybe you've heard this before and maybe you haven't, a worldview is kind of like the glasses you put on to interpret life around you. I have this picture of, of someone holding, uh, yeah, this... This ball, it's, it's like the world is there, but you look through a thing and it changes kind of what you see. It changes how you interpret things. It changes what you think anything means, right? These are the glasses that you put on in order to see the, uh, in order to see the world. It governs how you interpret family problems, success, career goals, faithfulness to God, right? This is becoming... Uh, less common, but as an example, if your worldview says Christians don't drink alcohol, right, you'll be scandalized if you saw your pastor holding a beer. This is just, this is, it's not that it doesn't matter. It's not that it's automatically untrue because, oh, we know the truth, right? If your worldview says something, you're going to interpret life in that way. Everybody, no matter your position on anything or where you are in the world, you have a worldview. The next slide is this picture that kind of is, is really the take home for today. So if you need to check out early or something, take a picture of this piece. Um, but this picture is, a, uh, I'll call it a worldview target, okay? Uh, we have a target here with labels on each of the layers. As you get closer and closer to the middle, the beliefs that you would put in that section matter more to you. Okay. Every person will label this slightly differently. And I encourage you uh, to put something like this together for your own beliefs if you have the chance. It's really easy. You take a paper and you draw four circles on it. And you, <laughs> right? I thought, of, I thought of printing these off. But then I was like, eh, it's, you just draw circles, you know? So you uh, can assign different beliefs to different levels of importance for yourself, right? As you get closer, like I said, as you get closer, those beliefs are more and more important to you. In the center are your absolutes, right? What are things about your faith or about God or about Christianity that you would say, this is the most important thing? Maybe you'd be willing to die for it, right? The next layer is convictions. This section would be filled with things that you believe about Christianity that aren't absolute, but you think they're a good idea to believe biblically. Um, it's not, maybe it's not something you'd die for, but it's something that you still think is good and true. Uh, the next layer, uh, obviously, says opinions. So these uh, don't necessarily have biblical support, but you still think them, right? Maybe you aren't strongly convinced that these things are true, uh, but you still, you know, you hold them. 
The last layer is questions. Uh, they, these may have no standing in Scripture, but they're things that have caught your attention that you, you know, they're just kind of out there. It's like, I wonder about that. Maybe it's a problem that the church hasn't had to face yet, right? A, a, a solution hasn't been needed by the big church, big C church, so uh, no one in general has this, opinion, has this sorted out, right? So everyone has one of these, and I want to encourage you to take time and put beliefs in different layers. Now, my point today is not to tell you what to put where, but for me, I think like the Trinity and maybe the deity of Jesus, those are my core beliefs, right? The rest, like, you know, I like them and I think them and I, I believe what our Wesleyan theology statements say about them, but the rest of them, I'm, I'm really not willing to die for, you know? Um, so maybe you can sort that out for yourself. And my point today is that uh, we talk all the time about being multi-ethnic and trying to stay multicultural and trying to like bring all of our experiences together and those things glorify God, right? The same thing exists for theological difference, okay? So within reason, I'm not like telling you I don't believe in hell, but within reason, uh, we need to retain differences among ourselves or else we're not gonna be honest with our questions. We're gonna be facing deconstruction alone and end up you know, making a TikTok page about it someday. Like, I, and I guess I said that in a funny way, but honestly, like, that's a horrible path to have to go down. I hope none of us have to do that. Uh, so if we can be honest about our differences and, and question these things before they become, you know, soul-crushing, life-breaking kind of problems in our lives, uh, we will all be better for it. And that unity glorifies God. That's kind of the point that I'll get to today. Uh, but this was uh, really like what I need you to know when you leave here today. So with this in mind, we have to talk about that truth and love, that doctrine and unity, right? So I'll talk about doctrine first, right? God expects us to earnestly seek good doctrine, okay? Uh, for many of us, I can imagine this might not seem like that much fun to talk about. Like this is profoundly different in my mind from the way that worship just went and then I come up here and talk about, you know, documents and things that I, you know, they teach you this in college. It just, it feels so separate to me, uh, but I still think it's really necessary and I wasn't really going to change what I preached about anyway, so here we are. Um, I think we run the risk of losing the plot of Christianity if we don't sort out our doctrine, right? Our place in all of this vast creation is quite broad. Um, and God go in God's good world, Christians can do infinitely many things and have it be considered being about the kingdom, right? But we do have borders on this faith. At the risk of stating the obvious, uh, we do have the responsibility of following the teachings of Jesus. Like Pastor Chase's sermon last week, we might think that we are doing things for Jesus our whole lives, but we come to the last day and we find that we are following our own ideas rather than his. To be sure you don't have your own ideas, learn from Jesus and the teachings of the rest of the Bible, right? This is, feels very basic to say that, but still necessary to say. Our first uh, passage that we'll look at today is uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I'll read it all. I'll talk about it a little bit. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says this. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry 
and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. All right, so Paul warns the people that he's writing to that deceitful spirits and even demons will try to confuse and twist the good, solid teachings of Christ and the apostles. This image of a seared conscience is probably like a person who works in a kitchen for a few years and you know, they burn the ends of their fingertips so many times that they, they can't really tell temperature that fast. Right? So the, these teachers who have a seared conscience in this way, they can't tell right from wrong so fast. So they, you know, they pivot one way. Either they go toward, well, all we got to do is love. We can work out the doctrine later, which isn't you know, the end of the world, but it, it's, it's not starting in the right place, I think. Or they pivot the other way and they say, oh, abstain from certain foods, you know, I mean, live a, a Jewish life, live a life of uh, following the Old Testament law. They go to either one of these ways, and that's happening, I mean, today, but what was, Paul was speaking to this in their context right then. These teachers have been confused, so they speak ill of something that God calls good. More is going on in this passage, but my point in bringing it up is that doctrine matters, right? Truth matters. It is worth it to figure out sound teaching and to stick to it. We are missing this willingness to cling tightly to the uh, true doctrine like the New Testament expects. I think we are missing it. We all have to make sense of the Bible and sort out what it means for today. Cue deconstruction for uh, about a third of us, probably. Often with no, con- no connections to the historic Christian faith. Right? We find problems in our faith lives when something we've been told all our lives, uh, you know, that the entire system of our religion depends on this one thing being true, and then we receive more information or we go off to that uh, liberal college or whatever way, if we, if we become aware that we see it differently and we've built our whole lives on, uh, you know, the earth is 6,000 years old, right? So like, I don't mean to say more than I just said. We all face these different things in our lives, right? We all face these different things. And if you were told your whole life that, you know, you are not believing God if this, if this, if this, and then we have no faith anymore because that's shifted, right? Our faith is much more broad than that. It's much more expansive. It's an invitation to a different way of living. It's not a a checklist of things to believe, right? When our religion doesn't depend on something that we thought it did, and we change our minds, don't lose the plot. Don't lose the faith. Don't give up on the rest of what Jesus said because one thing you've come to see that you see that differently. All right, so doctrine matters. Truth is important. The next point is that unity gives worship to God, right? So unity among difference gives worship to God. And for that, we're gonna go to Psalm 133. This was the, the part of the sermon that I've seen coming for a few months, right? Actually, it was, um, it must have been in our American Idol series back in uh, September or October where we had the, the two sides fighting against each other. We were talking about political difference. Um, that was the start of this message in me, right? So I'll, 
I'll read Psalm 133 through, and we'll talk about each of the verses, okay? Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So this is a psalm of worship that the Israelites would sing on their way up to the temple while they're going to offer sacraments, offer worship, offer sacrifices to God. They would sing how good it is when, when brothers, brethren, people that are the people of God, live together in unity. So does God care about our unity? I feel like this is obvious. He cares about our unity. He receives it as worship. As much as he receives it in our multi-ethnic uh, experience and our multi-cultural life, same applies for our differences among theology among us. It is good and pleasant when people get along, right? The way of living that God set them in was good. Uh, where they would grow families by adding floors or by uh, getting a house, you know, right close to the first one down the street. This way of living in a knit, closely knit community was what God gave to them. For them, this unity is among fellow Israelites who live in that community that's governed by God's covenant with his people. For us, this thing that looks uh, most like that in our lives is this gathering, right? Is this connection time where we come together, we worship together, have fellowship eat food, pray for, talk to, check in with, hang out with each other. This is the unity that God looks for in his people today. God receives this unity as worship. The fact that the Bible has a psalm lifting up the joy of unity as a praise offering to God also translates to our experience. Christians for most of history thought that the psalms were, you know, God's approved prayer hymns, God's approved prayer book, right? We've come to see it we really shouldn't see it that differently, but we don't use them as much today. Uh, little side note, I love whenever I'm like reading a psalm and a line comes up and I'm like, oh, that was in a song like on purpose. You know, somebody was thinking of this psalm when they wrote that song. That's so cool to me. Sorry, little, little moment. Uh, just is how psalms end up in our, in our shared life sometimes, right? So what is this unity like, right? David talks about how unity is similar to a couple things uh, that made perfect sense to the first audience that would have heard it, right? So the first image is like oil poured on a person. We can picture a morning off of work for self-care, right? It is like rest, restful, and it's satisfying to be squeaky clean, to like take way too long in the shower and have a robe and put that towel on your head and that, like movies depict that really well, but people do that, right? <laughs> so this, you know, this, this satisfying, like, way of being clean the same way that they would have experienced it is what unity is like, right? Oil served this purpose for them as a symbol of, of God's favor. The comparison goes on referring to Aaron's beard and to his priestly robe. Uh, th these are symbols of preparation for a holy task. Aaron being the first priest of the people of Israel kind of set the tone for like the holy man, the person who would go before God for us when that person gets ready to do their job, that's what God sees when he sees his people getting along. Someone going before him to do, perform holy rites, however we want to talk about that. That's what God sees. Looking at the New Testament, we see Jesus the partier, right? Uh, so 
this beauty of brotherhood and sisterhood is what their life together is about. This beauty of unity is what life together is about. Jesus is a partier, right? He actually gets the, um, the reputation for being a drunkard. He goes to so many parties. He is so social and so engaging and around so many people that people think, oh, you, you know, you're just a drunkard. Like, we don't need you. Um, first of all, that, you know, it's wrong to throw someone away for something like that. But we have an example in, in Jesus, right? Um, the unity of the people of God is like dew on God's mountain, right? That's the second image that the, the psalmist writes about. Zion is where Jerusalem is, right? I'll read verse 3 again. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Zion is where Jerusalem is. It's the holiest city in Israel. Mount Hermon is a mountain in the north of Israel, and it's like the tallest one in the region. So in a very dry climate, dew is scarce, uh, important, and lovely. In our geographic region, dew is often seen as a nuisance, right? We can't wait till it gets out of the way because we want to mow our lawns, right? Um, I remember when I, just as a quick anecdote, when I used to paint houses in the summer, uh, we would often have to start later in the day once it comes around to May. And then around, you know, June, after Memorial Day, we would be able to start at 7.30 a.m., because the sun would have been up long enough to clear the dew. Otherwise, our feet would be soaked. You know, our ladders would fall. It was, you kind of had to work around the dew, right? So this image really doesn't work well for our culture. But for them, think about being low on water, needing, needing more water to, to survive. Dew is a precious thing. It is beautiful, life-giving, and essential. And this is what unity among community is like, right? So what? Um, so take some time, lay out your worldview target. Uh, there's middle ground between this truth and love that we get to occupy. This unity that we have together glorifies God. This is the project of a lifetime, right? It is not progress that should be measured in days or even moments. It's, it should be measured in decades, whether you're moving forward, moving closer, moving more in unity with the people around you takes decades to make these kind of relationships. And it's hard work to live in unity with a community where differences exist, right? The, the big church movements of the past few decades have said, all right, if you want your church to grow big, fast, market to one person. Market to one kind of person. And this, we call this the homogenous, or yeah, homogenous church principle or whatever the, the right word is. People in America said, all right, we need big churches fast, so let's market to one kind of person. And now we're feeling the effects of where this is a weird thing that we're committed to multi-ethnic, committed to multicultural, and I, I want to say committed to multi-theological um, chain, where this is a weird thing. But actually, this is what God wanted the whole time. And Chase often refers to that verse in Revelation where all, every what is it, tribe and people and nation and tongue are together worshiping God. And here we are in a foretaste of that. I hate that that's a weird thing, that it's like a hard thing to do. Um, but I'm excited that, you know, we're doing that. I'm glad to be part of this community where we do that. Um, so, yeah. I'm, um, so I just want to say, again, it's hard work to live in community where differences persist. 
is hard work to learn the truths of God, keeping doctrines straight and applying them to life situations appropriately, as well as it's hard to learn about loving your neighbor, right? No matter who they are, where they may be, or where they might come from. This is hard work, so let's ask God for help with it, right? And uh, this is uh, kind of my conclusion now. I've come to see that to pull back from an offer of community and connection and vulnerability with a fellow sister or brother in Christ is to pull back from what God gave you for this life. This isn't some guilt trip to convince you to come to man time more or to go to salt or to go to, here I put the list down, prayer power hour or racy or game night or anything else program-wise that Unison might see fit to offer. Go to those things. The leaders care about you. Go to those things. But this isn't the guilt trip to make you do that, right? This connection that God offers us in unity is when our unity worships God, it's a gift from God, okay? Our unity matters to him, and being on the same page in our busy lives is something that matters to him too. So this is it. This is the danger that multi-ethnic churches face is to become monocultural, right? We have to kind of defend against that. We have to kind of work against becoming monocultural. And again, third time now, the same thing applies theologically. We, we can agree on many of the big things, but if we disagree on the minor things, should that make us break company? Maybe you think it should. The point is, just, just think about that. Talk with someone else about that. When doctrine should be the, the thing that makes space for unity among our differences, but we rarely see that. Let's be careful to see our unity as giving the chance for us to properly value doctrine. I don't say this because anything major is changing about the way we do things here. It's not. I affirm the doctrines we have on our website and their rooting in the Wesleyan Church. But, and here's my last question, people who don't believe exactly the same as you and me are still Christians, right? If they're Christians, they're our brother, they're our sister. So just be willing to think about that. Uh, will you join me in a word of prayer, please? where we slow down and come before you. We thank you for the ways that you've been here in our gathered worship today. I pray that you would continue to receive our unity as worship, that you would protect us from, from demons and deceitful spirits and consciences being seared so that we get confused and teach wrong things. Lord, I pray that you would protect this flock from that. Would you help us not to have to face the challenges uh, that, that go along with those, those issues. And Lord, if we do have to face them, would you remind us of our trust in you? Would you remind us that we only stand because of your love? Would you remind us that we're knit together because of your gifts? We thank you for the chance to gather, to worship you, to learn about your word. Will you bless us as we go? In Jesus' name, amen.